Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We appreciate Cliff and our instruments and our singers so very much. Do such a wonderful job. Thankful for them. I'm thankful for all of you. Today would have been a really easy day just to get up and walk out on the porch and say, nope, going back to bed, getting back under the covers. But you all didn't do that. So thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being faithful to gather with the saints. Well, today we continue our series through the book of Hebrews entitled, Jesus is Better. And believe it or not, we are already in chapter 3 of this book. And the beginning of chapter 3 marks a bit of a transition in this letter. Up to this point, we've largely been making the case that Jesus is a better messenger than the angels. Uh, The writer of Hebrews mentions angels no less than 10 times in the first two chapters of this book. And he'll talk a little bit more about angels as we get closer to the end. But now we're going to switch gears, and you'll notice that In the next couple of chapters, the writer begins to frequently mention Moses. Now, why would he do that? Why would he talk about Moses to this particular group of people? Well, remember to whom he's writing. He's writing to a group of Hebrew or Jewish Christians. And if you're a Hebrew or a Jew, what historical figure looms larger than any other? That's right, Moses. President's Day is coming up soon, right? We celebrate the birthdays of Washington and Lincoln. Moses was like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, all rolled up into one, if you're a Hebrew or if you're a Jew. And so for the writer of this epistle to make the case that Jesus is even greater than Moses? Are you kidding me? The, the one who talked to God? The one to whom The Ten Commandments were given. The one who led our people out of Egypt. Jesus is greater than him. Well, that's really saying something. If Jesus is greater than even Moses, my goodness, he is truly great. He must be the Son of God. He must be the Messiah. And if Jesus is all those things, then it follows that he's worthy of our devotion. And he's worthy of our obedience. And he's worthy of our worship. That's the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make in today's text. That's the place that he's trying to get his readers to. And Lord willing, that's the conclusion that each of us will leave here with today as well. A reminder that Jesus is faithful, that he is great, and that we can put all of our hope and all of our trust in him. Now, do most of us in this room already know these things? Yes, I think so. I hope so. We've been taught that Jesus is faithful. We've been taught that Jesus is great from the time we were knee-high in Sunday school. And many of us have lived it. We've experienced that Jesus is faithful and that Jesus is great in our own lives. But you know, we sang a song last Sunday that asked this question. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? What was the answer? It is. It's good that we remind ourselves of these things. So let's spend some time this morning reminding ourselves of the faithfulness and of the greatness of Jesus. And we'll do that by identifying three truths about him in this text. So let's get started by reading Hebrews chapter 3, 
And we'll read verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. And we'll just stop right there. All right, here's truth number one this morning about Jesus. Jesus is faithful to the Father. Jesus is faithful to the Father. Now, we'll work up to that statement here in just a moment. But first, note what the writer of Hebrews calls his audience in verse 1. He calls them holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Just a quick reminder, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are holy in the eyes of God. Sarah touched on that this morning with this great illustration. Now, you may not always feel holy, and there may be instances where you don't act holy. All of us still sin, even though we belong to Christ. But always remember, Christian, when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin because you are robed in the righteousness of Christ. You have been justified in Jesus. When God looks at you, it is just as if you had never sinned because your sin is covered by the perfect blood of his son. This is why we can rightfully be called holy brethren. This is why we can be called saints as we are many times throughout scripture. Not by any good that we have done, but by the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. And by his grace, we are partakers of that heavenly calling. In other words, by his grace, we have been saved from our sin. And we thank God for that, don't we? Now, I really like the next word in verse 1. In the Greek, it is katanayo, something like that. Many versions translate this word into English as consider or think carefully or fix your mind upon. The idea is that you're not merely giving something a passing thought, but you're taking time to truly ponder it and consider it. In this case, the Bible is telling us to consider, to dwell on, to fix our mind on the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, this is something that I am convinced we do not do often enough. We know in our minds that Jesus is faithful. We, we know that he came to die for our sins. We know that he saved us and loves us. But do we really take the time to properly drink these things in and appreciate them and just consider them? Give them the consideration that they deserve. Or in the hustle and bustle of life, do we take the faithfulness of Jesus for granted? Can I share with you two things that God has designed to help us do exactly this? To, to make time to consider the faithfulness of Jesus. One of those things is the biblical principle of Sabbath. When we take one day per week and set it aside and protect it as a day of worship and a day of rest. In our case as New Testament Christians, we do that on Sunday, the Lord's Day. It establishes a rhythm in our life of pausing at least once per week to consider the faithfulness of Jesus and his proper place in our lives. The second way that the Bible gives us to do this is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, we will observe next Sunday. 
When we come to the Lord's table with our church family and we break bread and drink of the cup, the Bible says that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, the Lord's Supper causes us to pause and to consider the faithfulness of Jesus, specifically what he did for us on the cross. And so if we'll be faithful to observe Sabbath week in and week out, and if we'll make it a priority to always observe the Lord's Supper with our church family when it's offered, it will help us to be obedient in this command to consider or to fix our mind upon the faithfulness of Jesus. I also want to point out there are two titles given to Jesus in verse 1. One is the title Apostle, and the other is the title High Priest. Now, typically when we think of the apostles, we think of the 12 disciples along with the apostle Paul. Those men whom Jesus selected to lay the foundation of the church and to pen the words of the New Testament. However, the simple definition of the word apostle is one who is sent. And in that sense, Jesus is the greatest of all apostles because he was the one sent by the Father to this world to be our Savior. Remember what he told the 12 in John chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Jesus is also referred to in verse 1 as our high priest. We talked about this some last week. A priest is a mediator between God and man. Now, as we've said, we no longer need a human priest to mediate between us and God. We no longer need a human priest to make sacrifice on our behalf. Why is that? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He is now our great high priest. We come to the Father through him. And then the next phrase is really the main idea of these first two verses. It says that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. And who was it that appointed Jesus to come to this earth, to be our Savior? Well, his appointment came from his heavenly Father. In what specific ways was Jesus faithful to the Father who appointed him? Well, he was faithful to leave the glory of heaven and come to this fallen world. He was faithful to live a perfect life without sin. He was faithful to be baptized and set the example for us in every way. He was faithful to heal the sick and feed the hungry and bind up the brokenhearted. He was faithful to proclaim the word of God and the gospel of the kingdom of God. He was faithful to die in our place for our sin, being obedient even unto death. Yes, the death of the cross. And because he was faithful, God raised him from the dead, giving him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We serve a faithful Lord and Savior. Let us consider that today. Let us ponder that today. Let us proclaim it and let us celebrate it. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful to the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful to us. And help us, Jesus, to be faithful to you. Now, to help us readers better understand just how faithful and amazing Jesus is, the writer of Hebrews compares Jesus to someone that these people are very familiar with. And as we said at the beginning of the sermon, that person is Moses. 
So let's read the next few verses and we'll see how he goes about making this comparison. We'll start with the end of verse 2. As Moses also was faithful in all his house, for this one has been, for this one, capital O there, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward, but Christ as a son over his house. And we'll pause right there. All right, let's talk about these verses and explain them. We'll summarize them this way. Truth number two, Jesus is greater than Moses and really any man. He's greater than Moses and any man. At the end of verse 2, it says, Jesus was faithful to his father, just as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Now, the house it's talking about there is what we might call the household of faith. It is not Moses' house that it's speaking of. It's God's house. It is saying that Moses was faithful in all of God's house. The fact is that Moses was a member of the same household of faith that you and I belong to and every person who has come to God by faith. We're all part of this great household that God has built and is building day by day. Every time that someone comes to faith in Christ, the household gets a little bigger. We have brothers and sisters all over this world, don't we? From all ages and generations. But I don't have to tell you Moses While he's a fellow member of the household of faith, he's a giant in the household of faith. He is a hero of the faith, isn't he? He is one that we look up to and admire, and rightfully so. Of all the people in the history of the world, Moses was the one handpicked by God to receive and record the law of God. Moses was the one who received the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. I mean, wow! But verse 3 tells us there is one greater than Moses. There is one who is worthy of more glory than Moses. Because yes, Moses is great in the household of faith, but there is one, it says, who built the house. And he is greatest of all. Verse 3 says that he has more honor than the house, or by implication, anyone in the house. And of course, the builder that it's speaking of there is Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says every house is built by someone, but ultimately all things are built by God. And notice that the writer of Hebrews is now referring to Jesus as God. All things have their origin in him, but especially the household of faith. In verse 5, the author again makes the point that Moses is someone that we should look up to. He's someone that we should admire. It says that he was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. Verse 5 says that Moses' life was a testimony to God and that he would be spoken of long after he was gone. I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, man, I, I hope the same can be said of my life one day. Obviously not to the extent of Moses, but I hope that people will look back on my life one day and say that my life was a testimony to Christ. And hopefully all of you wish for the same thing for yourself. What a wonderful thing to have said about you. What a wonderful legacy. That's something for which all of us should strive. 
But at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that even the most faithful men among us, even the men that we would consider to be giants of the faith, are merely fellow members of the household. And the reality is that none of them hold a candle to the one who built the house, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than Moses or any man. So what's the application in that for us? Well, I think one application is this. Never put man on a pedestal. Never put your ultimate faith in another human, no matter how great or godly they are. Not the famous pastor on the television or on your podcast. Not your saintly grandparent or parent. Certainly not the man behind this pulpit. I assure you that that person that you're prone to elevate in your heart, whoever it is, is nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. They put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. And because they are human, there will be times when they let you down. Not intentionally, but they're human. There will be times when they disappoint you. And so by all means, respect and admire godly men and women. Hold them in high esteem, but don't make them the object of your faith. There is only one who is worthy of that, and he will never let you down. And he will never disappoint you. Don't put your faith in a fellow resident of the house. Put your faith in the builder of the house. Jesus is greater than Moses. He is greater than any man, and so put your faith in him. All right, let's read our last verse this morning, or the last portion of a verse. The second part of verse 6, here's what it says. Whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Here's truth number three about Jesus. Jesus is our confidence and hope. When we put our faith in Jesus, it gives us great confidence in him. Confidence that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us in this life. And confidence that he will one day take us to heaven where he has prepared a place for us in the next life. With this confidence also comes great hope. Abounding hope that Jesus will perform all that he has promised. That he will make all things new, including this world and including us. Colossians 1 refers to this as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 6 says that there is rejoicing in this hope. Christians should be the most joyful and optimistic people in the world Why? Because we know how the story ends. We know who wins. We know that light will overcome darkness. That good will overcome evil. That Christ has defeated Satan and one day will bind him forever and ever. While others are fearful and anxious over pandemics and persecution and political turmoil, we as Christians have peace. Why? Because our ultimate confidence and our ultimate hope is not in doctors, and it's not in pundits, and it's not in politicians. Our confidence and our hope are in Jesus and in him alone. Verse 6 closes with a challenge. 
and really a word of warning to us. Because it teaches us that those who are truly of the household of faith will hold their confidence and hope in Jesus firm to the end. In other words, those who have truly been saved by Jesus don't cut and run when things get tough. They don't forsake the body of Christ. They don't abandon the faith, but rather they persevere in Christ to the end. Now, don't misunderstand. The Bible is not teaching here that we earn our salvation by persevering. That's not what it's saying. Rather, it's teaching that perseverance is the evidence that we have been genuinely saved. That we truly are a member of God's household, the household of faith. And it's important we understand it's not us that holds on to our salvation. If it was up to us, we'd lose it in a heartbeat. No, it's God that holds fast to us. Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We persevere in the faith by the grace of God. Bottom line, perseverance is the proof in the pudding that we truly belong to Christ. So what's the writer of Hebrews saying to us then? By all means, persevere. Keep your confidence in Jesus. Hold on to your hope in Jesus. Keep looking to him. Keep following him. No matter what the world throws your way. And in so doing, you will validate to yourself and to others that your faith in Jesus is real. Jesus is our confidence and he is our hope. Now, next week we're going to continue on with verse 7. And basically next week's text will say to us, because these things are true, the things that we've talked about today, that Jesus is faithful to the Father, that he is superior to Moses, that he is our confidence and our hope, the next week's passage is going to say, so here's what our response then should be to that. And so I hope that you'll come back next Sunday and join us for that. Today we've talked a lot about the household of faith. And I'd like to close by asking each of you, Are you a member of the household of faith? There's only one way to join God's family, and that is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And that means admitting to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. It means believing with all of your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And it means calling out to him, crying out to him to save you and committing your life fully to him. And if you do that, God will save you, and he will give you eternal life. Have you taken those steps? Have you made a commitment of your life to Jesus? If not, we want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Here in just a moment, we're going to have a song of response. And when the song begins, if you're here and you would like to follow Jesus, you would like to become a Christian, I would invite you to walk to the front of the room and say, Josh, I'm ready to follow Christ. And I would love to talk with you more about that and lead you in a prayer of commitment of your life. If you have any other public decision that you would like to make today, or if you would simply like to come and pray, you may do that during this time as well. I'm going to ask our musicians, if they would, to come back to the platform, and we will have our song of response this morning. And while they come, I want to make one more appeal as well. 
Some of you may have made a profession of faith in the past. You've been baptized, but really the fruit of your life would suggest that you don't know Christ. And if you're being honest, your confidence is not in Jesus. Your hope is not in him. And if that's you, you need to get saved. Not saved again, quote unquote, but saved for the first time, genuinely and truly. And so I would make that appeal as well. If that's you, you come today. Let's stand and let's have our song of response. We're going to sing the love of God. Let's sing this song together. If you need to come, you come.